Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Twin Movies. I'm Ben Phelps, and I'm joined by my regular buddy and banter. Gabe Dowrick. Hello, Ben. Hello, Gabe. And special guest host tonight, it is sound editor Sam Haywood. Welcome, Sam. Hello, Ben. Hello, Gabe. Thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Mate, awesome to have you back. Awesome to have you back. So every year, Hollywood releases two movies based on the same idea. So each week we ask the big question, which movie did it better? Today, we'll be reviewing two movies about the mythical bow and arrow wielding thief who stole from the rich to give to the poor. It's 1991's Robin Hood versus 1991's Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Let the bow and arrowing begin. Robbing? Swashbuckling. Swashbuckling. I like it. I like it. I like it. Also, Robin Hood's real, dude. He's not mythical. Look, I wrote down originally legendary and I thought to myself, I kind of pulled my punch. Is he real? Yeah. Okay. Well, Sam, Sam, you should know because we should just interrupt briefly to say, as well as being a sound editor, Sam is actually a noted expert on the medieval era with a particular interest in 11th century Norman invasion of Britain and how it pertains to the end of the Anglo-Saxon period. So that'll be pretty exciting to hear from Sam today about all of that. (laughs) (laughs) So what a bizarre coincidence that of all podcast episodes, it's today's one, Robin Hood versus Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, that we invite Sam onto. I mean, who would have thought? Yeah, that's right. Hey, Sam, tell the listeners about the title of your PhD. Robin Hood and why Men of Tights is the most historically accurate depiction of him. (laughs) Oh, I'd say uh, shots fired, but it's probably more like arrows fired, right? Arrows fired, yes. Well, you can. No. A shot, I guess you're shooting a shot when. Yeah, he shot an arrow. He shot an arrow. Well, archers, let's, as usual, kick off this episode with an overview of these twin movies and a flashback to our first encounter with them. So, controversially, on the 13th of May, 1991, the first Robin Hood was released. And for what it's worth, here's its IMDb synopsis. The, here we go, swashbuckling legend, both swashbuckling and legend, of Robin Hood unfolds in the 12th century when the mighty Normans ruled England with an iron fist. So let's start with Sam today. Sam, did you originally catch 1991's British Robin Hood when it was released at the cinema, if it was, and what was that experience like? I did not see the. Uh, is it Patrick Bergen? Is that we're gonna? Is that we're, how are we gonna refer to these two movies? We're just gonna call it Robin Hood and Prince of Thieves, or? Yeah, perfect. Okay, I didn't catch Robin Hood at the cinema. I don't think it was a cinema release, was it? I thought this was kind of more of a high end telly movie. That um, I don't know, but I did. I, I would have seen it like on a Sunday night when they used to have Sunday night movies. Um, or, or, uh, or I would have seen it on VHS only like a half, a small handful of times. I wouldn't have seen this this movie a lot. For, lies. No one saw this a small handful of times. No one saw this movie. No one's even heard of this movie. I saw this movie. I definitely saw this movie because there are moments <laughs> I remembered. I, there were moments I was like, oh, that's right. To be fair though, Sam, you're probably motivated more than most because you're looking for a sequel to Sleep With The Enemy. You thought, I want me some Creepy Man action part two. (laughs) So you're actually looking actively for your Patrick action and you found it. Yes, that's right. Uh, Gabe, how about you? 
when and how did you first catch this version of Robin Hood? Uh, I didn't see this at the movies. In fact, I didn't really know this movie existed till, you know, maybe a year or two ago. And that's as a kid who was a huge Robin Hood fan. So I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that Sam claims to have seen it. What did you say? Three dozen times? No, a ha- half a dozen times. Six times. A small handful. A small handful. Yeah. Unbelievable. For sure. On VHS, this would have been this would have been one of the six for ten dollar VHSs that we got every now and then for sure. Why were you renting this and not awesome movies like The Relic and Deep Rising? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Young Guns 2 had come out yet. Oh fuck yeah. Oh, okay. Justified. My turn. I didn't realise this film existed until about seven days ago. (laughs) Now, this stunned me, absolutely stunned me. When Sam said to us, let's do a Robin Hood pod duo, I'm like, "Uh, which one? Like the Prince of Tights, Carrie Yule's parody, which came out. Carrie Elwes. How do you pronounce it? Carrie Elwes. Are you sure? Yeah, it's definitely not Carrie Ewells. <laughs> like Killian Murphy. Yeah, Sam, I sent another Killian Murphy needle drop coming up. Killian. 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 <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a, I just recently listened to the rewatchables about the Princess Bride and they 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 went over the um the pronunciation of Carrie L was in that. And I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. But I can I can check that, and I probably we probably shouldn't drop a rewatchables drop into our podcast, should we? We might get in trouble. No, but while you're checking stuff, uh, Sam, you should also check. And in fact, you were wrong about Young Guns too. It came out a year before Robin Hood, 1991. So you know. Oh really? Oh my goodness, that's uh, that's that's going to come up later with the awards. Oh no! So you basically had a premature gun. Yes. Oh no, you're right. Yes, no, you're right. This was um, this was this was after Heather's and Young Guns too. So I mean, we've established that Sam is literally this movie's biggest fan, and that Ben and I have never <laughs> really heard of it. I guess I actually I am a fan of this movie. I think it's I think it's quite good. Um, All right, hang on, hang on. Let's put your review on ice. All right. Have I do a bit of a little history lesson? What do you say? Do it. All right, so before we jump into our review and compare these two twin movies, let's find out how we got here with a shallow dive into the Hollywood history behind these two flicks. So it's a pretty short history. Kevin Costner made Prince of Thieves, made a bucket of cash. Someone else made another film, only Sam saw it. (laughs) The end. <laughs> my uh, my parents are both English, so maybe we used to rent this movie as a sort of protest to the uh, Americanization of of Prince of Thieves. It's a miserable childhood you had. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me walk you through the development of these movies. So let's start with the obvious one because there's more known about it, which is Kevin Costner's movie Prince of Thieves. So back in August 1989, the British writer-producer Penn Densham actually envisaged a modern classical setting to this, you know, devil-may-care hero. And he was inspired by Indiana Jones and the 
1938 version of Robin Hood. So he wrote this 92-page outline, which was then rewritten as a screenplay by his producing partner, John Watson. So a bit later on, about a year or so in February 1990, you know Morgan Creek? You might recognise that icon that comes on screen sometimes. There was a small production company behind a certain movie called Young Guns. Oh, in 19, 1988 and Major League in 89. Well, Young Guns- And they saw- Young Guns, Young Guns for sure was my most rented VHS as a kid, for sure. Really? Without wow. Doubt. Yeah. I rented Young Guns <laughs> hundreds of times. And now you're just a old gun at heart. Oh, <laughs> boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so anywho, hey, can you just insert a laugh there for me, Sam? Much appreciated. I'll find a genuine laugh and I'll I'll pull it back into this that joke. And there's probably like a choice of two laughs that Gabe has. Just insert one. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Morgan Creek saw quote gold on the page unquote, and they actually immediately funded the film. So they began scouting locations, and they actually were aware, unlike Gabe and I, that the Patrick Bergen version was underway. Uh, from 20th Century Fox and TriStar Pictures. That surprised me. I didn't actually realise that the other Robin Hood actually had the backing of, you know, some pretty big weight US studios. Anywho, Kevin Reynolds, the director, had already directed Kevin Costner extensively in the past, including a buffalo hunt scene in Dances with Wolves. So obviously, you know, Reynolds had a bit of cred, so did Costner. So they basically thought, okay, if you're in, I'm in. Two Kevins makes a good film. And they went ahead. But then what happened was Reynolds said he didn't want to do an Indiana Jones because he'd already done that. So the whole genesis for the film kind of fell away. (laughs) And then when Costner came on board and wanted to do an accent, Reynolds thought that would distract audiences, which led to his weird accent, which we'll get to in the review, And so that's how this weird film began that started off as being a British version of Indiana Jones and became an American film without the Indiana Jones vibe scene. Right. Now, jumping across to the other one, the other one, which we can call the Patrick Bergen one or the Irma Thurman one, that was also actually inspired by the 1938 swashbuckling version of Robin Hood called The Adventures of Robin Hood which concentrated on the struggle between the Normans and the Saxons. Was that Errol Flynn? It was. I don't know. It was, was it? Yep. 1938, Robin Hood is Errol Flynn. Okay. The key distinction here is in that version, actually replaced the traditional sheriff of Nottingham uh, with the Baron of, do you pronounce it, de Gure, which was the historically correct French Norman character, which was, I guess, historically correct, basically. Uh Moving forward, can we just refer to him as the French cunt? <laughs> just the the French Baron, the guy from uh, Dustboot. He no, that's um, he's Sir Miles Falconet or Falconet or something. The the guy who plays the Baron is another actor, Jerome Crabby. But uh, I've, we've got to get into this. I think we're kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but yeah. So Miles Falconet is the French cunt, and the Baron is kind of more of an anglicised Norman. Yeah, exactly. Well, they, aren't they both Normans? Norman weren't Normans, uh, sort of some sort of Europeans who came across to Britain. Yeah, but the Baron didn't have a French cunt accent. Sorry for our French listeners. No, but he, 
But his name is still Daguerre or whatever, but his first name is Roger. Yes. Yes. Which makes no sense. Roger. Roger. Baron Roger. Like if they called him just Baron Roger, you think it would be a parody. Thank you for joining this podcast tonight where three uneducated people in the history of uh, Europe discuss <laughs> facts that I actually don't know anything about with great fanfare and banter. Well, I actually think um, Baron Roger de Guerre, <laughs> his grandfather who was a pirate was Carrie Elwes' character from The Princess Bride, the Dread Pirate Roberts. So there you go. Really? Yeah, that's, that's, that's historically accurate. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, the movies never talk about like that mythical land of Gilda, but I guess they just left that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's kick off our review, fellas. Let's start with the 1991 Patrick Bergen, Irma Thurman, Robin Hood. Sam, as our special guest co-host, let's start with you. Did you like it? What didn't float your boat? And was this a good execution of the Robin Hood legend that we all know and love. I did like it. I didn't, you know, I didn't love either of these films, but I, I think I liked this version slightly better. Um, I preferred the, uh, I liked the the Norman versus Saxon theme of it all. And I also liked having the, um, I really liked uh, Jürgen Prochnow, who was the, uh, how do you pronounce that, Gabe? You're the pronunciation King? The actor's name or the character's name? No, no, the, the actor's name. Uh, I don't know, Jürgen Prochnow? <laughs> Jürgen, Jürgen, Jürgen Prochnow. Yeah, he- Just call him Jürgen. He's, um, he's fucking, he's a, he's a great villain and more of a grounded villain. And um, I really like him in the, uh, he was in a great, what probably the best Western Jet Li film, um, Kiss of the Dragon as the villain. Wow. Sam, you have awful taste. <laughs> Kiss of the Dragon's great, mate. Um, just relentlessly, relentlessly wrong. Um, and I don't really know what to say. <laughs> Is Kiss of the Dragon the film where Jet Li kicks a pool ball with his foot to knock someone out? Or is that a different movie? I think that's it's, it's actually in his, his contract that he has to do that in every film. The, the, the thing is, <laughs> I don't even know if Jurgen Prochnow was in Kiss of the Dragon because I think you're getting him confused with Checky Caro. Am I? Yes. Oh, that's terrible. Jesus. So I'm doubly wrong. Jesus. Wow, this review's got off to a great start. We're down a rabbit hole of rabbit oh, holes. <laughs> yeah. That's terrible. Wait, you're getting your Eastern European type actors all... All confused. You'd- well, they're all the same. Anyway. Say this for the Stephen Toblowski Award, my friend. So, what worked, what didn't? Uh, what worked? I think the uh, the chemistry between Robin Hood and Maid Marian worked slightly better in this film than, or maybe not better, just differently. What? More, more uh, organically. No, Sam, she's dressed as a boy for half of it and it's him sitting under a tree hitting on a boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you liked about That's that. That's more historically accurate. Maybe he liked just that, right? I mean, maybe. <laughs> oh, this, no, it's the, the best dialogue best dialogue between them um, is that. Um, I didn't really like the music. The music was really kind of average in the Patrick Berg and Robin Hood. It um it was very obvious and sometimes wrong 
the wrong mood. And I looked it up and it was the composer from um, uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian. And that kind of makes sense. It kind of felt like a Monty Python score in, and it was it just felt out of place. I, I, I do think that for the most part this film kind of at least knew what it wanted to be and nailed its tone a little bit better than Prince of Thieves, which I do think wanted to didn't it wanted to be a few different things and didn't quite nail any of them. Fucking sacrilege. Gabe, over to you. Uh, are you a, yeah, over to you, Gabe? Yeah. Uh, there's Robin Hood with Patrick Bergen is pretty forgettable. Maybe the photography is okay, but that's about it. So what didn't work for you, Gabe? What wasn't as good as other Robin Hood adaptations? Say what you want about, you know, old mate Prince of Accents, but Kevin Costner has... Uh, charisma on screen whereas Patrick Bergen you can like yeah I mean he's 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 fine in Patriot Games and various other movies he's appeared in but you know he doesn't have the 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 the, the magnetism to carry a, a big picture I'll pay that you're right he, he doesn't pass the men want to be him and women want to be with him test does he there you go gentlemen that's where you are so so wrong <laughs> oh Really? Here we go. Shots fired. I hadn't heard of this film until seven days ago, and I found this to be a brisk, fun, <laughs> authentic romp. Oh. <laughs> I went into this film expecting the worst. I experienced the best. I revisited Prince of Thieves, which I had this loving memory of, partly because of the song. Yeah. And I was incredibly disappointed. What? Yeah. No. The perfect film is somewhere in between, I might say. A hundred percent. But I thought Patrick Birkin was actually really good. Wow. And this film, I actually think, captures with great authenticity the Robin Hood legend. And I actually think Patrick Birkin was fantastic and radiated chemistry. Wow. And I actually kept thinking watching this film, believe it or not, what happened to Patrick Bergen? Why wasn't he a bigger star? Why didn't he kick on? Yeah. Mm. Like, I think he really has magnetism. He has presence. I think he's a hero. I think he's good looking. I think he cracks on to Irma Thurman dressed as a boy with great authenticity. Uh, yeah. I thought this film and the casting of this film was fantastic. And the, I was. The cast is fantastic. It is, right? Like, let's yeah. just go through the cast. So, these films are really difficult find. Um, in Australia, it's one of our domestic uh, streaming services, I think. But the cast is Patrick Bergen as Robin Hood, Irma Thurman as Maid Marian. And she's great. She's really good, yeah. She's really good. Very early in her career. Is it Jürgen Prochnow or Prochnow? Prochnow. Who plays Sir Miles Falconet? He was in Kiss of the Dragon. Deep fuck. Kiss of the Dragon. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Most people would recognise him from June, The English Patient, or the lead character in Dust Boot. Fair to say, boys? Fair to say. Fair to say. Okay. It's quite funny because there's a few characters in Prince of Thieves who I'm like, oh, it's that guy. And I was like, oh, actually, no, it's not that guy. It's someone else. Well, mm. without, without stepping on the that guy, um, the Stephen Toblowski Award, the Geron, is it Krabby? I don't know. Krabber? <laughs> Krabber? Krabber? Most people Krabber. would know him as... Harrison Ford's best friend slash betrayer, spoiler for 1993's The Fugitive, he played Dr. Charles Nicholas. And there's something about his face and his presence 
but I only think I've ever seen him in one film only, that film, and he's just so memorable in The Fugitive that when I saw him pop up in this film, I went, oh, it's the guy from The Fugitive. So it's a really good cast and the the setting looks authentic. I keep saying authentic, but it feels very grounded. Like they're real castles. This is all pre-CGI. Uh, they're set in real locations, not in like cardboard cutouts or things made of paper mache. And I think it's shot really well. Like I'm not sure if it's natural lighting, but it certainly feels that way. Uh, very low contrast, like overcast skies, I think, for the entire film until the marriage at the end when the sun appears for the first time, which was apparently an artistic choice. So it looks really European in that sense. You know those films you see set in Berlin like Run All Run or various versions of The Born Identity where it's that low contrast, cloudy skyline and it really suits the sort of uh, tough, dour mood that you expect in a film where a guy is thrown out of aristocracy and then sort of rises like a phoenix to sort of like, you know, build an empire within the forest and take on the aristocracy. I was really, really impressed. Now, having said that, let me say this. It's Robin Hood, so it's a bit hard to get on board in regards to expectations, as in like, you know what's coming, right? So it was very familiar, which isn't a fault of the movie per se. It's just a fault of this story being, you know, flogged to death so many times. But short story long, I thought this was a really good adaptation of a famous story. And I'm really surprised that it just has vanished so much. But I guess it makes sense because, hey, it came out the same year as good old Kevin Costner. Yeah, and I suppose we've had six or seven, eight or nine, maybe 12 Robin Hood movies since. Yeah, and I don't think any of them are as good as either of these two movies in a way because they all try and – the one thing I liked about both of these films is that they kind of they – didn't, they didn't apologise for the Robin Hoodness of it all. Um, the Patrick Bergen is slightly more grounded and realistic, but it still, it still has the – the face-off with Little John on the log across the river um, still has those kind of the you know it has the it, it it does a slightly different spin on splitting the arrow, um, but it's not apologising for being Robin Hood. Whereas the Russell Crowe version, I haven't seen the other the latest version with the pretty boy in it, but they kind of they they want to put a different spin on the legend, and it's like why why do, doing a why are you making Robin Hood if you want to do a different spin on it? Just make a different movie. Well, don't you think, guys, that at the time, if the word gritty reboot was around, <laughs> don't you think that both directors would have been pitching this as being the grounded gritty version? And not, I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. That term's been hijacked, I think, in recent times and become this ubiquitous term to refer to something that is a drama and a dra- or you know a, more, a serious version of what was considered to be a light story, a gritty superhero story, a gritty folklore story. These films both feel like when they were pitched at the time, they would have been pitched as these are like serious movies, not like that one with the crazy fox, the, the cartoon version that Disney made. Uh, just briefly, I think the Prince John in the Patrick Bergen Robin Hood reminded me of Prince John in the Disney Fox version, the lion, Prince John, massively. Um, and he only appears briefly in this film. Um, 
I do think the Patrick Bergen film is the gritty reboot pitch. I don't think I feel like Prince of Thieves wants to have its cake and eat it too in that in that sense because there is a lot of winks at the camera, and um, I agree with you in on the photography and that with the Patrick Bergen Robin Hood in terms of it being kind of I'm going to say dank, <laughs> um, dour, dour. Let's say dour. Um, I found that slightly fatiguing, not fatiguing, but kind of lulling into like it just, it was just a little bit boring after a while. Whereas I think Prince of Thieves really leaned into kind of the, Prince of Thieves is almost the last of the swashbuckling Errol Flynn type versions because Kevin Costner has that real boyish kind of, he is, Gabe's right, he's a charisma machine and he really has that um, boyish charm turned up to eleven, you know, and you know he slaps Maid Marion on the butt as he's as he makes his escape from the sheriff of Nottingham's men, and 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 the photography, well, the the in in Prince of Thieves, like it's very grey in England, and then Maid Marion comes out, and it's very like it's all blue skies, and they really accentuated that. When she's there, it's sunny and beautiful, and then in other moments it's grey, and it had more dynamics in terms of the colour palette. Okay, yeah, look, they're good points, and we've kind of moved to our review of Prince of Thieves, so this is good. I I do I'll walk back one of my comments earlier about both films being pitched as gritty reboots because I agree one is grittier than the other. I think what I thought made the Prince of Thieves version well, perhaps intending to be more authentic or more grounded in historical times was the inclusion of Morgan Freeman's character, who, as I recall as a kid, I don't recall that character popping up in any of the Disney versions. Is that right? I don't think so. I don't know if any of the Disney versions, like, went to whence ever the Crusades are or had, you know, anyone who wasn't very anglicised in them. So basically these movies are going to kick off, I guess, what, 20 years where the Crusades featured as a pretty important part of the storyline. Yeah, no, the, Rich, King Richard's always off off on the Crusades, but they don't use, yeah, like, I actually preferred the Patrick Bergen Robin Hood, the way it focused on the Normans versus the Saxons. And I, and I thought, um, so Prince of Thieves, it really leans into the, the, the cliches and like, there's the blind dude Duncan, um, the witch Mortiana, the witch um, uh, Morgan Freeman as as Kevin's exotic companion is kind of. I felt like that was sort of clumsily handled and didn't age as well as it might have, and that in a way, the Patrick Bergen Robin Hood being less having a less inclusive cast per se was less problematic looking back on it because the way they kind of refer to uh, Morgan Freeman and and his uh, his religion is is kind of clumsily handled a little bit I think so which film is most authentic or most uh, connected to the original legend the original myth? Of these two, is it the Patrick Bergen version 
I think so. I think just the accent alone. <laughs> the accent alone. <laughs> you see, you see, fellas, here's the problem. As if Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves isn't a vastly more entertaining movie. It's got a better cast, it's better directed, it's got bigger set pieces, it's got better music, it's got better photography, it's got better production design, uh, it's more fun, Christian Slater is in it. Um, just every element of this movie is more enjoyable. I mean, I'm really interested to know, Ben, why you think it didn't hold up. Um, I mean, maybe you hadn't seen it for a decade or something, Um but I just can't see how anyone, any sane, smart-minded individual wouldn't think <laughs> Prince of Thieves isn't just vastly so, better. Than- so you're questioning why Ben doesn't see it as good, but because I'm not sane nor smart, you're not questioning my judgment on the story. Now, you're a lost, you're a lost cause, mate. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> to be fair, Gabe, I do think, I must draw attention to the fact, podcast listeners, the gay walk down the aisle to Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you. For real? So I sort of feel your- Yeah, you better believe it. <laughs> Did you really? Uh, no, oh. no. I walked down to Yasu's Only You. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, did you or not? Because if I'm laughing now, I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, well, you should feel bad, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was the same song they used in one of the recent seasons of Orange is the New Black, so good choice. Thank you. Uh, thumbs up. Uh, <laughs> look, um, I don't I, – I'm embarrassed to say, and look, as Sam would know as the poor man in the sound edit suite, I'm not a man of few words and I do express myself perhaps with more words than is often necessary, yet I'm somewhat stumped to describe why I can't say – I didn't like Prince of Thieves as much. I, I I do find Kevin Costner's American accent annoying. Now, let's just do a little bit of a history dive, gents, because this film was radical in that sense, wasn't it? That up until around this era in movie history, everyone put on an accent. So if it was a film set in World War II, people put on the accent. If you were a German character, a Nazi, you were doing – a German English accent, and everyone else put on English accents if they're playing English and so on. But at the time, you'd put on the accent that was most recognizable to the era. And then around, I can't recall when, but I do recall in 2008 when Valkyrie from screenwriter Chris McQuarrie, starring a host of actors like Tom Cruise and God knows how many English actors were there in there. Like um, I was going to say Owen Wilson, not Owen Wilson, but um, uh, help me out. <laughs> that would have been a better movie. Okay, Bill Nye, for example. Um, anyway, long story short, lots of British actors and they had a mixture of accents throughout the film. So both the Germans and Americans and English were all playing their own accent or all speaking their natural dialect and you just went with it. And that became kind of a norm after a while. There have been a few other films I can't quite think of right now, so jump in if you guys can recall. But it became more acceptable. Did they do something similar with Chernobyl? I can't recall. Do those guys have a Russian-esque accent to their English or do they? No. I don't, 
I don't think they did. No, they just they used, yeah. used their English accent. Same with like Death of Stalin. Although, Ben, I would just jump in and say I'm pretty sure, for instance, Laurence Olivier playing like Hamlet in bloody 1950 wasn't doing a Danish accent. So I think people have been skipping accents sometimes in the history of cinema. No, sorry, I should qualify that by saying what they do is they'd always revert to a British accent. Gotcha. So the British accent was like the international accent. Gotcha. Shakespearean. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's right. Now, I don't think with Kevin Costner, as it turns out with the Hollywood deep dive, that wasn't intentional. But later on it just became the norm where actors would either just use their natural accent regardless of where their character was from, or they just would accept the fact that it would become a globalised world, in which case it's entirely acceptable to have a Brit who works for the CIA or an Australian who happens to play on the, you know, um, baseball team or something like that, and we just go with it now. But at the time, back in 1991, that wasn't such a common sentiment. I can't recall people kind of freaking out about Kevin Costner's accent. I think I didn't think of it at all at the time. I think people laughed about it. Right, yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of went with the territory of the song, didn't it? There's the joke in Men of Tights where Carrie says, Because I can speak with an English accent. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, look, it, again, I'm so embarrassed to be lost for words as to why with this particular film I can't speak to why I didn't enjoy as, as much. I guess it comes down to Kevin Costner. I can tell you why. Why? <laughs> you can see deep into my soul. <laughs> I can. I came into this movie um, with a lot of nostalgia, like uh, like like Gabe, and and I and honestly, I kind of watched this movie and I felt like Statler and Waldorf. That was wonderful. Bravo! I loved that. That oh, was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good. Yeah, though. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away! Hey, boo! boo! I hear you, Sam. I hear you. I enjoyed it at first. I was like, this is great. I love it. And I was I was along for the ride. And then I think, uh, I do think, I think the accent thing, you get away with it if if they didn't put fucking Christian Slater into film as well. Because to, to put two Americans put it doing that bad accent. Yep, that's it. I think you've got it. It's just it's too far. Yep. So I think yep. so Christian Slater comes in and as well as like the reveal of his relationship to Robin Hood, um, I feel like this movie was setting up Slater as Kevin's heir apparent a little bit. Like I know he was in a few things before this, but I feel like a lot of people were invested in him as being the next the next big thing, like even the next Jack Nicholson or Brando or uh, there was a lot of investment in in Christian Slater. Um, it wasn't to be to that extent, obviously, but I feel like this film was kind of setting him up for that. Um, and – and 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 poorly because he comes off as a bit of a whiny whiny bitch I reckon, and and also the reason I preferred Robin Hood Bergen over Prince of Thieves Prince of Thieves could have been better if if they simplified it down fuck off the Will Scarlet story completely more Rickman um, because he's fucking going a thousand percent I've never seen in fact we'll get to it later but. Like, yeah, like he, he's just so huge 
And and I love let's let's do it now because this is a point of contention for me. Okay, brace yourselves, guys. I didn't enjoy this film because of Rickman's performance. Oh, for fuck's sake. He's so big. Like I like I I, I was into it, but it didn't know what it wanted to be because Rickman was doing the Exactly. The full on, full on almost a parody of a villain. And like if they if they leaned into, okay, this is Errol. We read. We're doing a modern take on Errol Flynn. We're not doing a gritty, a gritty, grounded version. This is full on swinging around with swords. Rickman would have fit into it better. Kevin Costner's boyish charm would have would have come off better. And and fuck off a few of the weird storylines. Make it ninety minutes because it goes for at least thirty to forty minutes too long, and just. Make it a roller coaster and people wanting more at the end. Whereas I was 70 minutes in and it didn't feel like it was wrapping up. And I was, and that's when I was like, fuck, when, you know, I started feeling like I wanted to look at my phone and it just, it, it wasn't there. I did, I didn't, I enjoyed certain things. I enjoyed, um, you know, I re- enjoyed rewatching the take on the legendary duel between Robin Hood and Little John on the river with the bow staffs. And I remembered as a kid that like between, between this and Donatello from Ninja Turtles, I suffered many a concussion from fighting with sticks with my friends. <laughs> um, it's it, it was cool that it leaned into that. Um, but, yeah, it just goes for too long. I, I, I enjoyed the montage where they're training up all the outlaws and stacking the bows and making the arrows. And I was a little bit disappointed that they buried the splitting the arrow in two in that montage instead of making it its own sequence. Yeah, I agree. They kind of stepped on that, didn't they? There was an opportunity to really kind of accentuate that and yeah, it wasn't done as well as it could have been done. Yeah. Um, by the way, kudos to a training montage. The hour's approaching to- I think we'd all agree, all three of us, without even asking you, I know you guys all love a Rocky S training montage. Uh, the Robin Hood Prince Thieves one gets that right really well. Like, credit where credit is due. Can, can Wait, just hold on. Just wait. i got to go back, though, because we started on Alan Rickman and then Sam told us about how much he liked the bow stick fighting scene or something. But let's just go back to Rickman for a sec. Because... Okay. Because... Because because I I love him in this movie and particularly him and um, Michael Wincott who plays Guy of Gisborne and particularly because Kevin Reynolds chooses to shoot all of their scenes with these like ultra wide angle lenses that just add to the oh that's what I was gonna yeah grotesquery of their performance so Ben tell me a little you didn't like Alan Rickman in this and what was the story that that someone else harboured a fear that he was too big. You nailed it. So there's two stories here. So Alan Rickman was approached twice to be in this film. Now, don't forget, this is back in 1991. He's come off Die Hard. The guy is hot, hot, hot. And he declines the role twice because the script is crap 
crutch. <laughs> Crap. Anyway, he gets on board and he brings on Ruby Wax, who's a comedian, and other mate to rewrite some lines for him to sort of beef up the part. It's kind of back. It's like the beta version of what you know Judd Apatow would do later on, where you call all your mates for a round round table read through to kind of beef up the script with you know jokes, more jokes. So that happened, and then there was a bit of uh, ad libbing on set where he tried to go above and beyond the jokes that Ruby Wax and Co had written to try and make it even funnier. Here's my issue. I really like Alan Rickman. I really like Alan Rickman in Die Hard. I think the problem here is a clash of tone between Alan Rickman's performance and I wouldn't even say the performance of Kevin Costner. I would say Kevin Costner. I think Kevin Costner is, to me, in this film, humorless. Gabe. And that, that will invoke your wrath, I'm sure. No, he doesn't really crack many jokes. I just, he doesn't, to me, he doesn't have that kind of, uh, that sense that he's wise cracking. Let's just say, get back to Die Hard, for example. Look at, say, Bruce Willis. He has the capacity to, to make cracks, perhaps sort of like be a bit self deprecating. I never get that sense from Kevin Costner as an actor or the characters he plays. And therefore, it feels a little bit oil and water between his tone and what Alan Rickman's doing. And then if you throw in, you mentioned before, Sam, Christian Slater. Now, this is the era of like those teen magazines where he was like everywhere. I remember watching, looking at those um, Dolly magazines when I'd try and steal my sister's Dolly magazine and read Dolly Doctor. He was always in the front of those magazines at the time. And- he was on screen a protege to the mentor to characters like um, uh, Sean Connery in in the name of the Rose and so on. And like you say, he was being groomed for big things. And I feel he is sort of like one too many American accents in this movie. I think his performance is fine. Uh, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's terrible. He's a whiny bitch, though. He is a bit, but I think that's okay in the t- in the overall film. Um, mm. But the reason why this film works for me, when it does work, it's actually not because of Kevin Costner or Alan Rickman. It's because of Morgan Freeman and one of the best actors who never got her dues, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Mastrantonio. I always, I always just butcher these names. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, those two actors to me are just anchors to this film. If you could imagine this film in some sort of alternative casting reality where you kept Costner, Slater and Rickman and swapped out Freeman and Mostrotonio, I think it's a very different film and not as good. Yeah, you're right. I, I honestly think if you just take Christian Slater out, it's a better film. Never. If you if you put in if you put in uh, who's it Owen Teal from Bergen in Robin Hood and just have him as just like you know a, a non-story in there just a just a, a lackey, it's a better movie. It's a much better movie. Mm. Hey, um, Gabe, you were you were speaking before because I'm not as uh, au fait with it, but can you explain? I, I really noticed the photography in the Rickman scenes where it almost felt like how 
people would shoot like a drunken scene. <laughs> like, you know, like if, if a character's drunk and they'll shoot it a certain way with the camera moving in and out right up in their face. And can you explain the like the lens and the, the process there? Well, I mean, I guess they just chose to shoot those scenes with a really wide-angle lens which kind of distorts the... The, the features of the actor. I mean, it puts everything in focus, but then it also sort of pulls everything kind of inwards. Um, mm. I, I mean, I think it makes for quite, quite it's quite a bold and memorable choice. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to know what the sort of thinking behind that sort of was. It's interesting as well because the film has an aspect ratio of 166 to 1, which for a movie that's kind of pitching itself as an epic swashbuckler is pretty square. Like obviously it's not square square, but, you know, you would have thought they would have gone for the old 235 to 1 aspect ratio, which is very widescreen. But instead they go in the opposite direction, which just seems like a, an, another odd choice by Kevin Reynolds, you know, like... Why? Hey, Gabe, for our audio listeners who aren't au fait with ratios, do you want to give a quick 101 to aspect ratios for TV v cinema v IMAX? Uh, well, the aspect ratio is like the shape of the, the image. So uh, TV, for instance, is about 185 to 1, which means the vertical Oh, that's new TV though, but old TV. Oh yeah, yeah. So an old TV is four by three. So the the horizontal is four to the verticals three, and mm. so so a very a widescreen film. Uh, you know, a film that has the, you know, that you would say is like uh, what's a what's a what's a classic widescreen uh, like Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. So what's its aspect ratio? Probably. That might be super wide. Yeah, I think that's probably two three two three nine to one or something. Yeah, I don't know. Just think Blade Runner twenty forty nine or one of those films like that by that director, Denis Villeneuve or Unforgiven. The the horizontal is much longer than the vertical. I guess is the you know easiest way to describe so it. So basically, long story short, you go the more epic the movie or the more cinematic the movie. Often they choose the film to be wider with a, a shorter height. So old TVs are four by three, four across, three above. Current TVs, and I think approximately iPhones, are about what, Gabe, 1.85 to 1? Uh, an iPhone, well, it depends if you hold it vertically or horizontally, Ben. <laughs> are you shooting portrait or landscape? <laughs> you TikToker, you. But weirdly, interestingly, <laughs> even though our TVs are getting wider, film there's filmmakers now who are also going in the other direction, like um, what's his name? Uh, Xavier Dolan, who's, you know, like a sort of can darling, he made a film called Mummy that was shot in a one-to-one aspect ratio, which is a square. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I can't stand that shit. Sorry. I just it, Is that for Instagram or? That's like hipster, hipster ratios to me. By the way, just tie a bow on the ratio stuff. So if you go and see a Star Wars movie, it's probably going to be 2.35 to 1. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So basically, essentially, it's 2.35 longer and it is higher. Exactly. There you go. There you go. And this film, Gabe saying, wasn't 2.35 to 1 or wasn't 1.85 to 1. It was actually 1.66 to 1. Fuck, that's very square. Mm. 
Yeah, really square, like old-fashioned TVs. It's definitely a choice. Yeah. It's definitely a choice, you know. That's almost 4.3. That's a really weird choice to make for a film which is set like in these lush exteriors, forests, Kind of yeah, very odd, Gabe. I don't, I don't know why. I wonder if, I wonder if Kevin Reynolds talks about it on the DVD commentary. Who knows? Didn't listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> so we should probably start tying a bow on these reviews here. Um, any key distinctions between these two movies? Where one thing, I guess, does a better job. You mentioned earlier, Sam the classic splitting of the arrow to, you know, really define the incredible marks, marksmanship of Robin Hood. Any other, Anything else, you know, music, uh, character, storyline, that one film really does a lot better than the other? Uh, the, the music in Prince of Thieves is a lot better than the music in the Patrick Bergen uh, Robin Hood. Like, like, a lot better. Do, 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 do. Yeah, I mean, it's very memorable, isn't it? Very memorable. It's a melody that you come out of the cinema humming, and and I like that. That's that's it. Look into my eyes. <laughs> you will see. <laughs> To be fair, that film really leans hard into that theme. It plays it about three times until you're gagging at the, just champing at the bit for the credit sequence. And then you finally hear that song you heard in 1000 Tower Records or department stores or Sanity Music DVD shops or whatever, when Brian Adams actually does a lyrical version. But how good is that? You don't see many movies... Uh, that have the instrumentation of the end credits song used also throughout. Like Titanic does it, I think. I was watching Man of Steel tonight, much to your chagrin, Gabe. And I like Man of Steel. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, it actually does use that theme quite a bit. There- Wait, what? What's the end credits song for Man of Steel? Man of Steel uses everything I do. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> That'd be awesome though. <laughs> It has its own theme, which it recycles appropriately throughout the film. It's basically the Superman theme. Yeah, yeah, but at the end they don't sing a song using the theme. Like there's oh, not a song true, sung true. by like, so, you know. So, so a great example where they don't do this. Is every movie? And is the opposite, no, is, okay, Oblivion. <laughs> so Oblivion, which is a fantastic movie, podcast listeners, please refer to your podcast episode list for Oblivion versus After Earth, a previous podcast episode. But killer soundtrack by M83. But in the credits, they choose a random, really good song, but a random song of lyrics by a female artist whose name escaped me right now. But it's a great example, Gabe, that proves your point, where it rarely happens that you do have the instrumental followed by the full buffet afterwards. And I agree, it does work. I'm not criticising, I'm taking the piss really. It's great. But but uh, Gabe said before, like it, it's a it's a bold choice for the um the wide angle lenses in, in the Rickman scenes. And 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 almost like it gave it away. Oh, oh, the, Sam, have you just gone back in time in this conversation? <laughs> I, I, it'll come come around. It'll come I'm coming around. Wait, this, this is like the biggest segue of all time. Okay. Go on, continue. So 
the the bold choices of the the lens, the bold choices of the you know the the scenery when Marion's there, the music, it it lean everything. It doesn't do anything by halves, and it leans into absolutely every decision hard. It, it, it's not. It's it's. It's very confident in in the decisions it makes, even though some of the decisions are kind of contradictory to its other decisions. I mean, you're right, Sam. Like, it breaks the fourth wall. At the very end, Friar Tuck, like, leans into the camera and is like, What the fuck? Gobble, gobble, gobble. I can't even remember what he says, but he's like, Go home now. They're going to fuck. I don't know. I don't know whatever he says. Yeah, I actually wrote down a note that he actually does the, what I'd call the Silence of the Lambs look. Like, directly into the camera. No, it's it's more than that. Silence of the Lambs is is one degree off. This is like talking to the audience. It's men in tights. The, the whole movie, it's resisted winking at the camera. Kevin Costner's wanted to wink at the camera the whole film. Alan Rickman's wanted to wink at the camera the whole film. The whole film, they've just resisted breaking the fourth wall. Then in the very last fucking shot, Friar Tuck looks at the camera and addresses the audience and it just completely takes me out of it. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And the last thing that that I think kind of ruins it a little bit and it's sort of similar to the Morgan Freeman character being a little bit problematic but but even worse was at the end the Maid Marian uh, wedding is a bit tropey but it also got – it's also got a little bit too rapey for the for the tone of the film as well, and that was kind of very off for the, for the tone of the rest of the film. For Alan Rickman to all of a sudden like go that far towards um, what do you call it, consummating his marriage to Maid Marian was just a bit full on. You mean like sexual assault, or you mean like a graphic depiction on screen? Uh, both. Look, it's interesting, isn't it? I actually was hearing a review recently of this scene that happens with Biff and Lorraine in Back to the Future. You know, recall that scene where... Oh, that's super rapey too. Yeah. So at the time, when you watched it as a kid, it didn't come across that way. If you watch it now through the lens of 2020, and here we've got basically a, a high school student about to sexually assault a fellow student in the front of the car at the school prom and it's kind of, it's very dicey and confrontational to watch being more educated about these issues than we used to be, whereas back then it was considered to be more like shenanigans. And Not only that, not only that, the plan in Back to the Future was for uh, Marty McFly to be kind of coming on too strong and for his dad to rescue his mum from Marty McFly's unwanted advances. And then it just happened to be Biff that um, that was in the car. Yeah. It's very weird. It's very weird. And and in this movie, it's a really good comparison, Ben, because in this movie it was it did feel fucking weird at the end when the sheriff was trying to rape Maid Marion. I don't feel we'd see it in a 2020 version or even Absolutely. the uh, 2010 no. version with Russell Crowe. No. Well, well, I mean, you, you could do it, but it would have to be the the gr- really gritty version of it. And, and then Mar- maybe Marion stabs him in the throat at the end or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's treated probably a little bit more casually than you treat it, you know, 29 years later. Yeah. So we should probably tie a bow on this review, guys. Uh, so 
Which film has aged better, do you think? Let's start with you, Sam. I think the Patrick Bergen has aged better. They're both they're, they're both kind of six out of ten, seven out of ten films. The training montage in Prince of Thieves, which is a good set piece, but it's interesting. They're, they're splitting the arrow in that. There's a weird visual effect that they've used for that with the as the arrow is going towards the tree and then splits the arrow. And that stuck out a little bit as as, date, as a dated visual effect, whereas there was nothing like that in um, the Patrick Bergen Robin Hood. However, we've come a long way in terms of fight choreography and the fight choreography in Patrick Bergen was particularly poor as well. It's very interesting you say that because I actually thought that the 300 uh, frames per second slow motion of the arrow being shot, one of the most iconic images from the trailer, which was played over and over yes. in the music video yes. uh, by Brian Adams. So it's burnt in my brain because I must have seen the music video a thousand times. To me, that was particularly modern then, and I actually think stands up. Oh. And interestingly enough, I actually think that that arrow shot you're talking about, it's basically like a GoPro point of view vision of the arrow going through the air. Uh, actually, to me, is actually quite contemporary and very Matrix-esque, which came, what, about eight years after this movie and still stands up because we live in a world where we live in a world of drones and uh, GoPro point of view. So interestingly, I think that, that those particular shots do stand up. I think it's more to me the tone, the pacing, which is dated a bit. Uh, and for me, the Patrick Bergen version stands up because it's so naturalistic in terms of its action, choreography of of, um, of action and cinematography and tone it feels a bit more timeless in that regard. Yes. I enjoy both movies, but uh, I guess my heart is with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and my head is with the Patrick Bergen version. Gabe, what do you think? I would suggest that the movie that has aged better is the only one that anyone actually remembers. (laughs) I remember it. And to be fair, I discovered the Patrick Bergen version seven days ago, so your point is well made. (laughs) Mm -hmm. One thing I'd like to really quickly mentioned about the Patrick Bergen version is um, it's very it's it's quite it's quite hilarious how quickly it escalates at the start like they they race through the first act like that trial of Robin Hood it just goes it's it's like that uh it's it's like the the quote from Anchorman boy that boy that escalated really fast um, he goes from being the Baron's friends to being kind of an outlaw in the blink of an eye. And then equally quickly at the very end, Owen Teal has his confrontation with, um, with, with the Baron and says, come on, mate. And he's like, oh, okay, fair enough. And, and they're friends again at the end. And it de-escalates as quickly as it escalates at the start. Oh, but that's, that's friendship <laughs> in the 11th century for you. It's, it's so bizarre. It's just like, oh, you know what? We can, Normans and Saxons can be friends. <laughs> Everything's forgiven. And I guess it goes back to the status quo and, and fuck the poor people. Uh, 
and the Normans are still in charge. Yeah, the good times only last for so long. Uh, 500 years, I believe, was the medieval good times period. <laughs> good times. <laughs> it only goes for so long. All right. Yes. Let's uh, jump to trivia. Um, let's do a bit of behind the scenes in terms of the making of about these twin movies. So I only discovered the Patrick Bergen version seven days ago. Gabe discovered it one and a half years ago and Sam for some reason saw it half a dozen times, unquote, about 30 years ago. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> so, so we can assume that the very few uh, blog posts written about this film were written by Sam and his parents and there isn't much to read about the history of this film. However, there is a lot to find in relation to Prince of Thieves. For example... And this is quite funny given our conversations about you call him Carrie, I call him Carrie, Ools. He was offered the role of Robin Hood originally, which is quite amazing. Turned it down because he thought that the plot was too contrived, but then ironically portrayed the same character in the spoof Robin Hood Prince of, sorry, Robin Hood Men in Tights back in 1993, two years later. I feel like Carrie Elwes probably wrote that piece of trivia himself. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all agree that Men in Tights is superior to both of these films. Agreed. Never seen it. What? Guilty as charged. Oh, my goodness. Ah, uh, it, it rules. It's so good. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I've got to say it. I've got to say it. Um, this will blow your mind. This film, Prince of Tides, again, ah, oh, Benny. Sorry, Prince of Thieves was the second highest grossing film of 91 behind T2 Judgment Day. But I think one of the reasons why it did so well is because Judgment Day was rated, I think it's R in the US, or PG-13 maybe, and Robin Hood was rated PG. But interestingly, it was rated PG in the UK as well, and apparently the chief British censor at the time says it's the decision he regrets the most in his entire professional career. Wow. Wow. Totally. Um, are you guys aware of any interesting uh, tidbits in relation to the behind-the-scenes making of Prince of Thieves? Well, I said before that um, Christian Slater was, you know, there was a lot of investment in Christian Slater and they thought he was going to be the next big thing, um, comparisons to all sorts of great actors that came before him. And interestingly, the role of Will Scarlet was turned down by Johnny Depp who sort of did become the next big thing. Okay, so tell me, is this a better film with Johnny Depp in that role? No. Than Christian Slater? No, it's a better film without that character and storyline. Gabe, thoughts? Uh, I'm agnostic. I'm a big Kevin, uh, Kevin, Christian Slater fan, so. Uh, I'm a big Christian Slater fan too. I love, I, I, you know. Broken Arrow, <laughs> um, True Romance, Heathers—they're all. He's a, he's a great actor, and um, uh, Young Guns too, obviously. But he's he's just a whiny bitch in this film. I think this film did him no justice. A whiny bitch. There you have it. I keep saying that. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, over to you, Gabe. <laughs> Any bits of trivia? Oh, shots fired. <laughs> The only piece of trivia I, to be honest, was particularly interested in in regards to Prince of Thieves was, was it in fact Kevin Costner's ass that he shows? And sadly, all you Kevin Costner ass fans, it was not. Oh. That apparently is 
an ass double. So I do think he enjoyed this movie. I do think he really wanted to be the Errol Flynn. Like they, they, I, I say it again. They, it should have lent into the Errol Flynn side of it rather than the gritty side of it more. And I think it would have worked better. And I think that's kind of where he was enjoying himself. Yeah, I think. This is a time though where, you know, we're looking at the big egos of Hollywood actors and he probably wasn't keen to, you know, potentially downgrade the heroic nature of the character. Sure. I don't know, but that could be perhaps the motivation behind it. Yes, maybe, maybe. Um, any other trivia tidbits, gentlemen? Uh, apparently I, this is kind of... It's jumping a gun on a quote that I was going to, have to speak to later. Apparently, Christian Slater ad-libbed the line, Fuck me, he cleared it. <laughs> when he catapults them over the wall. Interesting, because I actually thought the line was quite funny and quite surprising and out of context. That's curious he ad-libbed on the time, yeah. Apparently he ad-libbed it, but, yeah, it is super, It's it, it takes you out of the film a little bit because you're like, what? That's the only fuck in the whole film. And... Uh, and and almost he could have eyeballed the camera. He could have broken the fourth wall to deliver that line. Interesting. Um, another tidbit: this script was sold by Penn Densham and John Watson for one point two million. Ah, the glory days of spec scripts. Ah, <laughs> uh, Gabe. Anything else before we move on? No. <laughs> <laughs> then casting woulda, shoulda, couldas. So couldn't find any alternative cast in the Patrick Bergen version. Again, this film doesn't have a huge base of, you know, fans writing regular blog posts. But with Prince of Thieves, for the role of Marion, actors considered at the time were, and I find some of these names quite surprising, starting with Elizabeth Hurley. Really? Back in 91? Anyway, Patsy Kensett. Nicole Kidman, Matilda May, Amanda Pays, Jolie Richardson, Ali Sheedy, and Sophie Marceau, who some might know from which Bond film, Gabe? You're a Bond fan. She was in... She was in Kiss of the Dragon, wasn't she? <laughs> Is she in the one with um, uh, Denise Richards? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And also apparently Mel Gibson was actually offered the role of Robin Hood back in 91 too. That's so interesting because I feel like these this is films, like I keep saying, like this is kind of the last of the swashbuckling films before Braveheart really amps up the groundedness and and, um, and grittiness of these sort of period films. And and that like Braveheart really kind of went oh we're getting serious with the swords now, whereas and Robin Hood was kind of the last of the swinging across the um, across the hall on a on a rope or something. Yeah, what era was Braveheart? What year was that? Ninety four was it? Ninety four, Sam? Ninety five? It was it was after this. So basically, Braveheart is the Robin Hood film that Mel Gibson got to make himself. Really? Y- yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's move on. Um, spot the Aussie, Robin Hood or Prince of Thieves. I didn't spot any. Did you guys? I didn't see any Australians in either of these films. No, nor I. All right, moving on. Big Trouble in Little Production. Uh, Prince of Thieves, well, I think it's the accent issue. So the story goes here that Kevin Reynolds didn't want Kevin Costner to do a British accent. Kevin Costner did. 
So what would happen is if they're having a good day, Kevin Costner essentially agreed to do American accent and if he was arguing with the director, he did a British accent despite him and films are shot out of order. As a result, the accent is muddled throughout the film. <laughs> I didn't pick any British accent. I thought it was all American. No, not at all. Apparently he had a actually a dialect coach and that didn't help at all. So I think we're in a situation where there's intended to be a British accent, like shades of certain enunciation, which sounds slightly more British, but because he unfortunately didn't nail it, it doesn't jar too much. I would have thought they would have done a whole bunch of ADR, like looping all the dialogue on a movie like this anyway because of where they were shooting and how they were shooting it. So I'd be surprised with those sorts of stories. I don't know. What do you reckon, Sam? Don't you think they'd have needed to replace lots of the dialogue? Yeah, they probably they probably would have. I didn't pick a lot of it though, and I usually can pick the ADR because, um, especially in the older films, it stands out like dogs' balls. But I didn't. I didn't. Maybe you know that's and that and you know we spoke. I spoke about ADR on the last pod, I believe, and um, it is hard to match. But it's ninety percent of a matching ADR is the actor's performance. If they can nail their performance, then it'll slide in. And no one will be the wiser, but if they can't match their performance. Sam, do you mean when the actor's actually recording their audio again, like in a studio? Yes. Two months later. Do you mean when they're actually in the suite, in a dark room, a soundproof room with their microphone, and they're kind of like moving their hands around like we see Jamie Foxx doing the voiceover for an animated movie? Yeah. Do you mean they're nailing their performance then? Like they're not just singing the words to the lips, but they're, they're getting into character. Yeah, they've got to get into character and nail the performance. And often, because directors, you know, by necessity will record a lot of ADR and they'll use a lot of ADR, but a lot of directors, heaps of directors hate it. They don't want it. They love the production sound. And so as a consequence, you end up, there might be a scene with three lines of dialogue and only one of them is ADR. And so the the lines on the other side of it have to match in with it. It might be it might be a monologue and it might be a mishmash of ADR and sync. And if if the performance isn't isn't matching, then it then it jumps out really badly. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of EQ and kind of reverb and other things you have to do to make it match. Uh, but but it's ninety percent performance. So for our podcast listeners, we are incredibly thankful to have a professional sound designer, sound editor like Sam Haywood working with us on this podcast. And if you go to IMDb, you'll see Sam's incredible feature film and TV credits. But Sam, to give context to the the listeners, if you had, say, a scene and they had to replace one particular line of dialogue because a plane flew overhead or there was some sort of sound bug of some sort, would you be encouraging the director to replace all of the audio in that scene so it matches, it sounds the same, but you sort of tend to fight the directors? Not fight, but what I mean is you negotiate because they're keener to keep the original audio and just try and somehow, you know, push that square peg into the round hole to make that extra line fit. What's what's the norm? What's your usual experience with that? Well, so, so there's 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 two sort of 
distinct processes in the post-production sound workflow and that's the sound edit and the sound mix and the edit may carry on through the mix but the mix is kind of when the director comes in and the final mix it comes in and sits and you're finishing the movie in the sound edit that's when you kind of you queue up all the you know you, you go through the dialogue and <clears throat> the um, the director and the edit, the director and the picture editor have have meticulously chosen the takes that they like, and so they don't want to get rid of generally don't want to get rid of any of those takes, and and they spend a lot of time in that edit suite. So, if it's a technical issue with a line, generally what we like to suggest is that we record the the line that has a has a problem with it, and also the line on either side um, that may not have a technical problem, but yeah, it, it, it gives you a little bit more uh, leeway to kind of get into the ADR and get out of the ADR. Now in the mix, what I tend to do as a mixer is, is mix all of the sync, all of the production dialogue as if there was no ADR. And then I mix the ADR in, as if we're going to use all of it. And then in the final mix with the director, um, it's just his or her choice. And most directors will go for the production dialogue if they can get away with it. So I'll, I'll present to them the ADR. I'll, like I'll, I'll make a choice. If I think the ADR is crap and the production di- dialogue's um, okay, I'll play the production dialogue. But um, generally in the final mix, an ADR line will come up and the director will say, uh, what does the sync sound like there? And then I'll, I'll mute the ADR, play the sync. <laughs> and often it's funny, once the effects and music and, and the Foley's in, often some of those mistakes aren't quite as bad as, as they were when there wasn't any of that other stuff. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yep, it does. And folks, you just got a incredible insight to uh, Movie Magic 101. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. But it's and it's and it is like I said it's 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 mostly performance like people like there are actors like um, Hugo Weaving who've just fucking nailed their ADR and you will never ever pick an ADR line from Hugo Weaving and then there are other actors like who uh, who who are just who are just shit at shit at ADR and um, and yeah you you avoid ADR at all costs and there's some actors who hate ADR. As well, there's actually you can probably look it up on YouTube. There's a really great um, video of Hugh Jackman doing the ADR for for Logan when he's running through the forest, um, and it's all just grunts. Isn't he actually running on a treadmill? I think he is. He's, he, I don't think he's on a treadmill, but he's just he's very 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 physical in the studio and committed and super pumped up and super committed. And that works. And interestingly, here's a little bit of tri- trivia. Um, that That's what you'd call like a grunt track sort of thing or a breath track. And um, and this is going back. So back in – we use time code now. So we'll say, oh, can we get – can we get um, – can we get two minutes of breaths, please, Hugh? Or and, and he did that to picture, but sometimes you might just grab some wild breaths, whatever, for the film. Um <clears throat> But back in the day, they didn't use time code. They used feet and frames. 
and even now in, in some some Hollywood mixes still use feet and frames because it's um it's a there's a timing thing with with watching feet and frames as opposed to time code uh, when you're mixing. But Russell Crowe's band is called Thirty Odd Feet of Grunt, and that comes from doing Thirty Odd Feet. I thought it was Thirty Odd Foot. Is it Thirty Odd Foot? Thirty Odd Feet no? of Grunt. Well, same. Tomato, tomato, yeah. Tomato, tomato. That the name of his band comes from doing wild lines of grunts for ADR. Nice. There, I must say, as a little bit of behind the scenes uh, disclosure, I'll often ask Sam to add just thirty seconds of Gabe's heavy breathing <laughs> to many moments in the podcast. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. <laughs> that, that's actually a sigh of, of contempt, Gabe. That's not heavy breathing. As an editor, Gabe, you, 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 you're not just pitching, you're not just choosing the best shots. You're choosing the best performances from the actor and the dialogue is super important in terms of, of, of what you've chosen and, and, and you would prefer to use the sync over ADR if you can get away with it. That's right. I mean, Sam... You're right, except I'd say that good editors would do that. I just shove in whatever the last take was and that'll do. Oh, you're, you're way too humble. <laughs> okay, let's move on, Joy. Boys, Joys, boys. <laughs> Joy boys. Uh, let's go with the box office. All right. Really tough question for both of you. Have a guess. Which movie was the box office champ? Sam, you guess. Uh, I'm going to have to say Prince of Thieves was the box office champ. It was. Okay. For the first time in like 42 episodes of this podcast series, I couldn't find the box office of Patrick Bergen and Irma Thurman's Robin Hood anywhere. I'm sure it was a TV movie. No, it was actually released theatrically. Oh. They may have rushed it in some territories to a TV movie, but in most territories in, North, in the Northern Hemisphere, they actually got ahead of... Uh, Costner's movie. So it was made for $15 million, which I must say, even with inflation, I think is pretty good bang for your buck, right? Yeah, no, that's great. For a period for, for a period film, it looks very authentic. I know. So what I do have are the numbers on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, 91. So Costner's movie cost $48 million to make, did $165.5 million domestically, plus $225 internationally, for a grand total of $390 million worldwide. That is incredible. And, you know, if you were somehow to add the revenue from Brian Adams' song, we'd be looking at over, I'm sure, $500 million. Amazing. I'm, sh- I'm sure there was Robin Hood Happy Meals at the time as well or whatever, you know? Yeah, it was everywhere. All right. Let's go to Rotten Tomatoes. Which movie impressed the fans? Gabe, kick it off. Prince of Thieves. Sam? Um, I think Robin Hood was probably more enjoyed. I, I remember Prince of Thieves being very popular at the time and the box office attests to that. But having a look online at, at certain sites regarding Prince of Thieves, it seems like people kind of, I don't know, is it a hipster thing? Where people kind of retroactively hate on it? No, no, 
No, I'm not a hipster at all. Yeah, yeah. You do seem to hate a lot of things, and the bottom of your pants are awful tight. No, I, I just, I don't like Los Angeles. That's it. Doesn't make me a hipster. I bet you hate movies that are universally loved. I, I don't even. You like Forrest Gump? No, no. It's a horrendous piece of shit. Life uh, is like a box of chocolates, no? You know, I'm, I'm familiar with it. You never know what you're gonna get. I don't know. I think it's because of the, the song, basically. I really think it's because of the song. I think people are, it's like they've got some sort of guilt about that song being in the charts. So that song is one of the, I think, top five songs, number one of all time, something like six, 16 weeks on the charts. And I think it's one of the situations where people just look back and go, why was I into Jazzy Jeff or whatever Will Smith's character was? Like, why was I into that song at the time? It's just shame. It's Excuse me. It's, Nobody has guilt about Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, please. I came here tonight to hear the crowd go. Boom, shake, shake, shake the room. Boom, shake, shake, shake the room. Uh, boom, shake, shake, shake the room. Take, 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 take. <laughs> ben seems to just imply that Will Smith was Jazzy Jeff, which is sort of doubly insulting. <laughs> yeah, Jazzy Jeff is a different person to the Fresh Prince, Ben. I don't understand the whole Fresh Prince multi-universe. I'm sorry. Um, okay, so for the first time again, we've got a record here that for the first time ever, a film doesn't feature on Rotten Tomatoes, which kind of goes to your point, Sam, perhaps about being a straight-to-TV or video movie. No tomato meter score for Robin Hood, the Patrick Bergen version, at all. The I take that as an absolute win. Kevin Costner version has fifty-one percent. Fifty-one, only fifty-one percent. Is that with with fans? Yep, that's the Prince of Thieves version. Now, in comparison, seventy-two percent like Prince of Thieves versus forty-five percent like Irma and Patrick. Wow. Well, we, I guess we could go off the IMDb star rating and the um, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves is at 6.9 and the Patrick Bergen is at 5.8. Yeah, okay. So kind of similar. Having said that, there's 175,000 ratings for Prince of Thieves and there's 4,000 ratings, 4,600 ratings for Robin Hood. And 4,001 since I watched it. <laughs> 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 All right. Let's jump to the awards. We've got there eventually. Here we go. All right. Bring it on. Let's go. Uh, drum roll, Gabe. Drum roll. No, I think we should have some sort of like, um, uh, you know, 12th, 12th century jazz? flute song, you know, like a something in keeping with the, the medieval styles. What about that scene where um, Mike Fassbender fingers the flute for his twin in, is it Prometheus or is it... Alien Covenant, that song. I think that was in shame. That sh- that was in shame, wasn't it? When he fingered the flute. <laughs> That'd be a great song. Yes, Ben, ben wants a melody on his skin flute. <laughs> All right, let's start with best title. Uh, I'll throw it to you first, Gabe. Uh, Robin Hood or Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Prince of Thieves. Robin Hood's generic. Sam. Yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it to Prince of Thieves. All right, uh, winner. Uh, best poster, Gabe, why do you describe the first part poster and Sam can describe the second? So let's start with Patrick Bergen's poster. I'm describing Patrick Bergen. Okay. Uh, it's a poster 
the Robin Hood poster, it appears that Magnum P.I. is firing an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> so if that floats your boat, this is the movie for you. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. If How much better film would both of these movies be if Tom Selleck was playing Robin Hood? <laughs> All right, Sam, describe... The Prince of Thieves poster to our podcast listeners who can look at it if they've got certain podcast apps. Do you reckon if Tom Selleck was playing Robin Hood, he'd wear the short shorts from Magnum P.I.? or In the pastel pinks, you could see his religion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the Kevin Costner Robin Hood Prince of Thieves is Kevin Costner with a bow and arrow and it's a flaming arrow, which is adds, adds a little bit more drama. And then below there's the... Very Princess Bride-esque silhouette of, we can only assume, Robin Hood and Maid Marion underneath a tree, which is very lovely. I'll point out that both posters have the two Robin Hoods firing an arrow, albeit yep. Kevin Costner's one is flaming, which is more dramatic, as you say, Sam. Yeah. And both posters also have Robin Hood kissing Maid Marion in the bottom third of the poster. So they're very similar posters. Um, I've got a... Well, I guess that's that's Robin Hood in a nutshell, isn't it? Firing an arrow and kissing Maid Marian. What I like is when a post can do what we call the floating heads, like really emphasise the lead actor, but it's actually a great shot. And to me, I think the Kevin Costner version just got it so right. They took that one shot made famous with a slow motion, made famous by the Brian Adams video clip, and they just leaned right in. So they're not great posters either way and Patrick Bergen isn't the star that Kevin Costner is, so probably doesn't deserve the close-up in that poster that he gets. For me, it's Prince of Thieves. What about the tagline? So with Bergen, we've got the adventure, the romance, the legend, and with Prince of Thieves, we've got for the good of all men and the love of one woman, he fought to uphold justice by breaking the law. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Kevin Smith, I think he takes that out as well with the taglines. Kevin Smith or Kevin Costner? I said Kevin Costner, didn't I? Like <laughs> you're Smith. a sound editor, Sam. You can just <laughs> well, sneak back there I'm and take fix that. Out. I'm fucking fixing that. How good would a Kevin Smith Robin Hood be? <laughs> mm. Fuck. Oh, the parody boat. So it's pre, the Prince, it's pre, the Prince of Prince of Tights part what? two. Let's say pre-dogma Kevin Smith, though. All right, Gabe. The Sheriff of Snoogans? Is that what we're talking about? Fucking. No, which <laughs> best poster? Oh, yeah, no, clearly Prince of Thieves. Prince of Thieves. All right, done. Winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Okay. The Bill Fleck Big Break Award, named after American indie actors Billy Bob and Ben Affleck. So, who jumped from indie films into the Hollywood big time with these movies, starting with Robin Hood? No. <laughs> Did anyone? Irma Thurman. Irma Thurman, sure. Irma Thurman. She did not jump into the Hollywood big time because of this movie. <laughs> it was a big leg up though, you'd have to say, right? For sure. Mm, I'm not sold. At that point in her career. I would say Baron Munchausen and Dangerous Liaisons were much bigger legs up. Henry and June, I think that she did a year before this. Uh, Mad Dog and Glory two years later. I think this is a forgettable blip. On her upwards ascension. Okay, point taken. How about uh, Prince of Thieves? I um, I, I I had to check the history books because this was this is a pretty old film, nineteen ninety one, almost 
what is that, almost 30 years ago. So I checked. I was like, oh, Christian Slater, is this, was this his big break? Um, but no, he was in Heathers and Young Guns 2 before this. It's an old movie. An old, like I think this was only the fifth movie ever made. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the four movies that were made before Prince of Thieves were, but, but it is old. <laughs> I think it was just this and the Errol Flynn version before it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So no, but it was so Christian Slater. It wasn't his big break because he was in Heather's and Young Guns too. No, but it was before True Romance and um, and Broken Arrow. But uh, and then I thought, what about what about old Morgan Freeman? Maybe maybe this was his big break. But then I was like, no, and I checked, and no, he was in. He was in Driving Miss Daisy before this, which was certainly his big break. Um, and Glory, I think, as well. Uh, yes. Um, Driving Miss Daisy, directed by the great Australian director Bruce Beresford, who directed Breaker Morant, which is a fucking absolute classic, and you should all go and l- watch that movie now if you haven't. Um, so I was looking, and I think I think Prince of Thieves, it, there's no big breaks in it because they kind of stacked it, I reckon. I think Sam's right. So I think we're at basically no nominees. First time ever, I think. I think we can. So we're not going to give it to Uma as a as a uh, as a default kind of uh, position, or Dangerous Liaisons. I think Dangerous Liaisons was a bigger break. So yeah, I think true. I think we say we're at no nominees. Well, well okay. okay. Kevin Reynolds, director of sure Robin Hood. Yeah, what did he made before Prince of Thieves? He'd made. A film called Fandango and a film called The Beast of War. Oh, okay. Point taken. All right. And then he did that Buffalo scene as probably second unit or something in Dance with Wolves. Okay. Kevin gets it. Yeah, no, yeah. Kevin Reynolds gets it and then he made Rapa Nui, which not many people saw, but a lot of – was that made – I know a lot of Australian filmmakers who worked on Rapa Nui. Um, Some – I know – some Phil, I'm pretty sure Phil Haywood worked on Rapa Nui. Anyway. Oh, Phil. <laughs> big shout out to Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Phil. Big, big shout out. Hi, Phil. Phil's a fucking legend, man. He he makes happy feet. He's he's an extraordinary mixer. One of the gun re-recording mixers. Okay. Yep. Um, and then um, and then I guess he crashed and burned with Waterworld, huh? Yeah. All right, let's leave it with Kevin for this one and move on. All right. All right. The Before They Were Famous Award or the Blink Annual Miss Them Award, starting with Patrick Bergen. Oops, sorry. I mean <laughs> the Patrick Bergen Robin Hood movie. Uh, starting with you, Sam. Well, oh, this is the Before They Were Famous or the this is slightly this is sort of a similar award to um, Hey It's That Guy, isn't it? But it's not quite Hey It's That Guy. Yeah, don't worry, Sam. I get all the awards very confused all of the time. No, it's different. It's basically like it's like when you know when some Joker appears. Like it's like when Harrison Ford appears in Apocalypse Now, right? Tiny role. It's before Indiana. It's before Star Wars. Oh, okay. And that that's a perfect example of this award. Like um like um James Earl Jones in uh, Doctor Strangelove. Great, great example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> None of which relates to this particular award, but sure. No, 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 no. But there's no one for this. There's no one for this award in these films, so I'm just filling up time now. <laughs> well, I mean, let's not forget. There's only five movies. <laughs> What about Owen Teal? You guys have brought him up a bunch of times. Owen Teal. Well, well, I was going to bring him up for the uh, for the. Uh, um, oh, hey, it's that guy award. Oh, okay. All right, just keep your powder dry. All right. All right. Okay. So, any any nominees? Let's go. Well, do you have any, Ben? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't think anyone. Yeah, there's no one with a small part who then later becomes famous. Yeah, I agree. Maybe maybe Sean Connery at the end as King Richard. Well, the war does have the flip side of the same coin, which is blinking you miss them, and that is very much. I'm gonna put down Sean Connery for this award, and he'll clean up later on for another award that has the word check in it. So, yes, I'll put down Sean Connery here, Gabe. I I endorse that when he turns up for about a prima nocta. Done. All right, moving on. We are running long with this pod. Okay. Let's move on to the Tommy Lee Jones Show Stiller Award. Who stole the show despite being in a small or poorly written role? Sam. Morgan Freeman. Gabe. Michael Wincott. Is he Little John? No, he's Guy of Gisborne in Prince of Thieves. He's amazing. Okay. I'm giving it to Little John from Prince of Thieves. His teeth are just spectacular. That's good enough reason as any. Nick Brimble. Sam? Yes. Uh, yeah, no, I'll go with that. Sounds good. Nick, Nick Brimble. Done. Moving on. The Nicky Rourke Award, named in honour of the troubled actor who squandered his chance to kick on with bigger roles, who didn't make the most of their opportunities after appearing in these films, Sam, Robin Hood. Patrick Bergen. Oh, yeah, Patrick Bergen as Robert Hode. Yeah, so really quickly, what the F happened? I thought he was great in this movie. I can't even recall. So what happened? Where, where did he go? It's 30 years later and it's only got 4,000 fucking reviews on, on, I don't know. So, I don't know. So, he's got like a lot of credits on IMDb. He looks okay. He's kind of kept his hair and hasn't lost weight or anything. I just feel if you're in like a movie with Julie Roberts and this movie, you should be kicking on to something else. And I feel like his agent didn't just, you know, work hard enough. Do you think he's like a not quite as good Liam Neeson? Ha, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe it's because he kind of played that sort of, you know, bad guy, you know, like a in Sleep with the Enemy that once you play a bad guy like that, it's hard to play a hero afterwards, perhaps. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. All right. All right, Berkey, the award is all yours. Moving on, the winner winner chicken dinner award. Who came out on top in each of these movies? either in front of the camera or behind, starting with Robin Hood. Uh, Uma Thurman. Oh, nice. Gabe? Yeah, fair. Uh, look, I think Uma Thurman's probably the best bet for 1991 Robin Hood, Patrick Bergen version. How about Prince of Thieves? The the winner is is clearly, oh, fucking hell, what's his name? The guy who wrote the fucking song. <laughs> oh, yes, you're right. I didn't even think of that. Brian Adams. Brian Adams, you're right. Brian Adams, Brian Adams won, wins Prince of Thieves, I reckon, for sure. Yeah. He wins overall, entirely. Yeah. I think it's worth giving... Very rarely, Ben, I think, do we ever give this award to a a singer. Look into my eyes. Oh, don't sing, Ben. And you will see. <sighs> Wait, I was supposed to be grunting. 
<laughs> Sam, please revert to your crunt yeah. track. <laughs> no, I'll, 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 I'll insert Marge Simpson um, groaning <laughs> here. But sorry, Gabe, I threw you off. Go on. No, I, I like your singing. I, I was just agreeing with you, that's all. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Brian takes it home. Best dialogue award. What's your favourite quote? Let's start with Patrick Bergen's movie. I have kind of, it's kind of a scene and um, it's it's not one line, but it's between Marion and Robin and it's super duper suggestive and, it, and it's fantastic. Marion says, so what are you going to do with me? Tie me up? And Robin says, could be a lashing. And Marion says, how many strokes? And Robin says, as many are necessary. I did like that line. And Marion says, and then it's finished? And Robin says, that depends. Have you ever been lashed before? And Marion says, I've never had someone make me beg them to stop. <laughs> it keeps going. It's so f- And then Robin says, then you've never had a proper lashing. It's just so full on. Like they're just like, <laughs> like Marion's like, are you going to fuck me? And Robin's like, I might fuck you. Can you take it? And Marion's like, well, no one's fucked me hard before. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's very much from the pen of Gabe Dalrick. Gabe. Yes, truly, subtext is for cowards. <laughs> <laughs> Gabe, any choice words, any choice phrases? I, I would say that Prince of Thieves is absolutely chock-a-block with ridiculous and funny quotable lines, mostly from the Sheriff of Nottingham, like, Loxley, I'll cut your heart out with a spoon. That was actually ad-libbed, by the way. Well, it was very well done. Well, and then later on, Rickman says uh, to his cousin after stabbing him in the blacksmith place, he goes, Well, at least I didn't use a spoon. <laughs> it's good steel. Yeah, they really kind of like played off the ad-lib earlier. It was quite well done. Uh, anything else? Any wit? Any sexy times? Uh, in Prince of Thieves, in re- response to Duncan saying, Sherwood Forest is haunted, Master, Robin replies, either we take our chances with the ghosts or we become ghosts ourselves. Nice, nice, very nice. In a very Midwestern type way. So I think we're saying that basically Prince of Thieves take this award easily, yeah? Easily. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, and there's another, oh, Little John says to Will, on. he says, he's talking about Will Scarlet, he says, don't take any notice of him. He's full of piss and wind. Oh, nice work with the accent as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> Good work. Okay. Um, I did like your rendition earlier, Sam, uh, but I feel like that line is isolated, whereas the cumulative impact of so many gems in Prince of Thieves takes the award. Fair enough. And, and uh, yeah, and then the Christian Slater line, uh, fuck me, he cleared it. That, that fucking, that takes the cake as well. There's a certain irony to Kevin Costner as Robin Hood saying, this is English courage in an American accent. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. Uh, the Sam Haywood Chewing the Scenery Award, also known as the Nicolas Cage Chewing the Scenery Award. 
Wait, what? Because of Sam's performance before. Oh, I see. I get it. Ah, I was like being clever on the fly. I do. Yep. Never do that again. No, I'm just kidding. That was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Never never improvise. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) Stick to the script, Phelps. Stick to the script. Stick to the script. Who chewed the scenery in Patrick Bergen's movie? I think uh, the the French cunt (laughs) a little bit. I think you just did. Uh, yep, could. Uh, Gabe? Uh, I mean, Jurgen Proch now, as you guys have said before, he's a great actor and he is something of a ham. Yeah. How about Prince of Thieves? I mean, we know the answer, right? <laughs> I mean, Alan Rickman, there's no contest. Yeah. There's no contest. Yeah. Maybe an honourable mention to Geraldine McEwen as the witch Mortiana. Good call. Oh, yeah, big, yeah, big, yeah. All right. Um, but Rickman is so big in this movie, you could rename the award after him. Like, honestly, he's bigger than any, almost any Nicolas Cage performance except for Bad Lieutenant. Interesting. Could we, do we have a new potential nominee for this award? As in, like, sorry, the naming of the award. You could. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you should, but you could call it the honor. And, and speaking of his performance and speaking of, like, so I guess his most iconic roles would be um, – Die Hard for sure, and and then later on in his career as Snape in Harry Potter, and the interesting thing about and and all three of these characters, Snape, uh, Sheriff of Nottingham, and and the bad guy in Die Hard, what's his fucking name? I don't know. Um, uh, he's bad guys in all those three, but in in as in Die Hard and Harry Potter, he's actually quite deadpan, and in this, he's he's a thousand percent. It's not like he's 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 really full on in in Die Hard or, or in Harry Potter. He's 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 very deadpan. Okay, so who's our winner? Alan Rickman. It's got to be him, right? A hundred percent, a million percent. All right. Okay, the taking a paycheck award, which speaks for itself. Anyone taking a paycheck in the first Robin Hood? No, I think they're all on fucking base rate scale. Yeah. Have a Prince of Thieves. Well, didn't you say, Ben, that you knew who the winner here was and you had a, a tasty tidbit to go with it? Oh, no, not tasty. Just I thought that uh, Sean Connery sauntering in on a horse, like he's setting up some sort of sequel, was odd. But didn't don't you know that he was, in fact, paid $250,000 for the one or two days' work? I didn't, but that justifies the award. Perfect. Really? There you go. Yeah. Sean Connery. That's a fact. Really odd choice. Like, wasn't required. What do you? It seems super obvious. It's a great choice. It's a great choice. What is it? Play, what's it playing off? Excalibur or uh, Connery? It's just like, oh, look at Sean Connery. It's literally. Wasn't he in a film? Wasn't he a film called Robin and Marion? I think oh, that's he was. True. Maybe, but it's literally just, hey, look, it's that guy. That's why he turned up, and it, and it yeah. was a reveal at the end, wasn't it? Like, it was kind of. Oh yeah. Almost a, a, it was almost a twist. Like it was like, oh look, it's that guy. Oh. yeah. No, that's a good point. And please remind me to ask you guys to cast my next movie because you do a great job. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, the Stephen Toplowski Award, aka Hey, it's that guy, named after the actor who played Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day. Uh, Sam, which actor triggered Hey, it's that guy when he or she appeared on screen? Uh, in Robin Hood, I've written Alex Norton. I had to look at um, 
IMDb to see that. He plays Harry in this and he also plays the bride's father in Braveheart and he's uh, in Patriot Games and he was in The Bill as well, which, which I was forced to watch as a child as long, along, along with fucking Patrick Berg and Robin Hood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I also think that Owen Teal in, uh, as, as the more grounded, gritty Owen, uh, Will Scarlet in, in the Patrick Berg and Robin Hood, because he, he came up, he's uh, he was later on in Game of Thrones at the Night's Watch. Nice. Gabe? Uh, I mean, Brian Blessed as Lord Loxley in Prince of Thieves is pretty memorable and hates that guy. As I said, Michael Wincott, very memorable actor with a very distinct voice as Guy of Gisborne. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, those would be my two nominations from Prince of Thieves. Ben, did anyone stand out for you? No, not in this movie particularly. And as Sean Connery would say, there can be only one. So, who's our winner? I thought. Um, I actually, I th- I was like watching it, and when Duncan came in, I'm like, "Fuck, is that, is that fucking, uh, David Bradley who plays Walder Frey in Game of Thrones? Surely not. That's thirty years ago. And no, it wasn't. It's Walter Sparrow, but he fucking looks exactly the same to the point where I feel like they based Walder Frey on this fucking character. Guys, I need a winner. I need a winner. Michael Wincott. All right, done. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Democracy in action. <laughs> Aldi Orson Wells, Brian Blessed. Nice. The Delroy Lindo Award for great actors who aren't cast often enough. Uh, over to you this time, Gabe. Well, I'm going to give it to Michael Wincott again. I love that guy so much. I wish I was in more things. Sam? Uh, Christian Slater. <laughs> oh, nice. Why not? Wow. Okay. Uh, I would have said Christian Slater up until Mr. Robot, but he's now gainfully employed. Okay. So I'm leaning towards Wincott as well. What about Patrick Bergen? You've been singing his praises the whole pod- podcast. Oh, yeah. 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 I lo- yeah. Patrick Bergen. All right. Patrick Bergen, it is. I've decided. <laughs> Democracy in action. Uh, the Memphis Reigns Award, inspired by the absurdly named character played by Nick Cage from Gone in 60 Seconds. Sam, starting with you, which character steals the cake for the most ludicrous name? Are there any? Uh, uh, no, not really. I guess Mortiana's quite cliche as a witch's name, but nothing really jumps out at me. Gabe? Well, I always got a little giggle in this 1991 Patrick Bergen Robin Hood whenever they referred to him as Sir Robert Hood. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. It's too much, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Hood. All right. I'll give it to the Hood. Robin Chode. The Memento Award, name for moments where Sam, after <laughs> six viewings, completely forgot about a certain moment. So let's start with that. Which part did you forget? Patrick Bergen's existence? I forgot Uma Thurman was in the film. Oh, wow. You always had a bit of a crush on the boy until you realised it was actually Uma Thurman in disguise, right? I was pretty I was pretty disappointed when I realised that it was Uma Thurman, actually. Uh, well, I've only seen Robin Hood, Patrick Bergen version once, so it was all fresh to me. How about Prince of Thieves? Did you guys forget any key moments there? I forgot about how um, problematic it was at the end when the Sheriff of Nottingham was trying to sexually assault Maid Marian. 
Yeah, that definitely looks different in 2020, Gabe. I forgot the fourth wall break at the end and I was pleasantly surprised by it. Oh, yeah, same. Yeah, I was thrown by that too. I was, I was, I, 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 I went all caps with my notes on that because it was just so ridiculous. Yeah. All right, that's three out of three. That's the winner there. Okay, we're near the end in the final straight. The Die Hard Award inspired uh, from the movie Die Hard. Did any of these movies inspire a uh, legacy with a crop of clones? Kind of. What have we got, boys? We've got the last – I know I looked at my email and in 2017 I sent an email to Gabe, I think about three and a half years, saying, check this out because we'd both considered writing a Robin Hood-inspired story. And in January 2017, there were five Robin Hood adaptations and counting in the mix. One of them come to, came to fruition, which was the one called, was it Robin Hood Origins? Or was, it was originally called Robin Hood Origins. It was one with, um, who's the guy that plays the lead in those spy movies? Taron Egerton? Yes. yes. So there was, there was that one. There was one called Maid Marion, which I think at one stage Margot Robbie, the Aussie actor, was going to play. Interestingly enough, the film that Russell Crowe was in was originally pitched as a film called Nottingham, showing the entire movie through the perspective, through the eyes of the Sheriff of Nottingham, and they bought that pitch for like $1 million and they basically then reverted to a good old-fashioned Robin Hood movie, which defeated the entire point of the original script. Uh, there was also a version called Hood, which I think the Wachowskis actually pitched at one stage with Will Smith attached to, which was a, basically a modern version of Robin Hood, but set in the ghetto. Uh, that's just, I think, three or four of the many. And is it- So I think it's fair to say that this thing goes on and on and on. It was a 2006 TV series as well. I think it's a BBC series, which was quite popular. Um, I don't know if we can say that either of these films necessarily inspired the Robin Hoods that came afterwards. I agree, but I, I think that Prince of Thieves was a certain point in time that just made everyone aware that this story can make a lot of money if it's done well. Sure. Uh, yeah, I guess so. The box office, yeah, that, that led gave it some bank. There's actually a version called Robin Hood 2067 in development, which is basically a modern version of this. Oh, wow. Which seems to make, yeah, which seems to be totally unnecessary to set it in the future, but the- uh, I feel like 20, I feel like setting anything in 2067 seems very optimistic. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. That brings us to the Milking the Speed Cow Dry Ward, named after the infamous sequel Speed 2, which took the high stakes of a runaway bus in a crowded city and relocated it to a sluggish cruise ship. So imagine this. Let's say there's an opportunity to make a sequel to Robin Hood and Prince of Thieves or Robin Hood, the 1991 Patrick Bergen version, they're both about a mythical bow and arrow wielding swashbuckling thief who stole from the rich to give to the poor. So, Sam and Gabe, which film do we make a sequel to? And what's our pitch to a studio executive to make it? Go. Well, I think I know which one we want to make a sequel to. The one that was successful and people have heard of. So there's a start. Oh, shots fired. Arrows fired. I mean, 
yes, Patrick Bergen is available, but doesn't mean we want him. So let's go with <laughs> <laughs> let's go with the sequel to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, what happens? All right, Sam, do you agree? Could you call it? Oh, I've got the title. I've got the title. I've got the title. Could we call it Robin Hood, King of Thieves? Oh, very clever. Yeah, very clever. Clever. <laughs> And that's how you make a sequel. <laughs> that's it. That's it. We just walk in and say, Robin Hood, King of Thieves. That will throw us money. I always think of that. I always get it from a story about when James Cameron allegedly walks into pitch the sequel to Alien called Aliens and writes on the whiteboard or the chalkboard Alien, then writes S at the end, turns around for dramatic effect, then puts two vertical lines through the S just to convey the producers that this is going to make a mozz of cash. So, Ben, are you saying you do this here and your pitch is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? <laughs> no, it's Robin. <laughs> it's Robin Hoods. Uh, so what you have is basically the legend of Robin Hood, but it's lots of people playing the same character. It's like Banksy, right? No one knows who Robin Hood is could be many people being the same mythological figure. Oh, yeah, I like that. Sure. That reminds me of the pitch where the the producer or director, whoever it was, walked into the uh, executives and just and just said, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, twins. <laughs> yeah, I I think um I think it's like the shortest pitch of all time because you just get it straight away. It's in the poster basically. What do you guys think about this idea, which I've always been attracted to but never got up, which I flagged earlier, which is the gritty contemporary urban version? Hood. Can I ask, will we going? Will it be sort of, will we go like Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet-esque? Oh, I like that actually. That's nice. That's a really good angle. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon, I reckon that's the way to go or we could go the much less successful uh, modern version of Macbeth with uh, the Australian. What was that? That Melbourne kind of gangland version of Macbeth with um, Sam Worthington. Yeah, Sam Worthington in it. Okay, let me just pose as a general point. Are we at a point in history now with our, you know with film where you can walk into a studio executive's office and just say something, 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 but now like Romeo plus Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann version. I think we possibly are. If you walked in today and said that, I think the 45-year-old studio executives now that pull the puppet strings saw that movie with that killer soundtrack back in 96 and they go, yeah, I get that. Like I actually feel, feel it would be an easier pitch to make that film now than it was then. So basically, take Robin Hood or take anything. Can we have? Can can we attach Baz? Look, I don't know him personally, Sam. I'll do my best, but I think he'd be down for a modern take on Robin Hood because Romeo and Juliet. You know, it was it was very colourful and it. I mean, almost kind of a little bit campy. Um, a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> um, and I think you could really do that with Robin. I think that would. I think Robin Hood lends itself to that. I think it's. I think it would be much better to do a sort of modern campy version of Robin Hood than a modern gritty version of Robin Hood. Okay, so you 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 go for the Romeo plus Juliet, or as I say in the US, Romeo plus Juliet version, set contemporary times 
with some young, so hot right now actor playing Robin Hood, it's probably going to be set somewhere where that person is impoverished and is robbing and subcrassity from the wealthy. Well, no, because no, because with, with, without being cynical, is there a version of this that ties into the way that there's this huge gap between the black community and the white community in the US, like in a really sincere way? Is there a way that you can do something that's actually really authentic to contemporary times, which isn't campy? It might actually be more in the version of, I don't know, something like um, a story that just feels grounded to right now. Like that's nothing like the Baz Luhrmann version, but you could do something like that too, right? Well, you could, but I don't think the part, a big part, and I haven't, I didn't say this before, but I watched both of these films with my uh, with my girlfriend Sarah, and. She noted. She said, "You know what? Robin Hood's a bit of a dog. He, he's a bit of a dog, in, especially in Prince of Thieves. But he 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 does a lot of sucker punches. He's a he's a sucker punch king. In in Prince of Thieves, he slashes at Sheriff of Nottingham's face and then runs away. And and then when he's fighting Little John, he hides in the water and then comes up. And Little John won the fight. And then he hits him in the balls and." He, he, he's constantly dog-shotting people and, and even in the Patrick Bergen thing, he flips a coin and then punches that dude in the guts. Um, he, he, he's a bit of a dog and that actually speaks to his character. In Prince of Thieves, Marion describes Robin Hood as a spoiled rich boy who is a bit of a bully and, and that sort of carries on through his character and part of the Robin Hood lore is that he's not, He's not from an impoverished neighborhood. He's 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 a rich guy. Like he he's a rich guy who's who kind of teams up with the impoverished, right? So he has to originally be not from the impoverished neighborhood. He has to be kind of rich. Maybe he could be like sort of like a Dr. Dre character's son or something like that, who then falls on No! Jaden Smith. Oh no! <laughs> Let's get Jaden Smith esque character who falls on hard times and then maybe gets back to his roots to then defeat the baddies. Wow. Now, Gabe, you've always been um, a big fan of Jaden Smith's acting and so on in the past. That's well documented in this podcast series. You're all on board for this? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought of that, what you just mentioned, Sam, that Robin Hood's about a, a rich guy who goes and hangs with the poor people. And it actually... It actually then sort of like, oh, is he just like a, uh, what's that line in that um, pulp song, Common People, Everyone Hates a Tourist? Because everybody hates a tourist. Everybody hates a tourist, especially one who thinks it's all such a lie. Maybe the people who he's, you know, like maybe Robin Hood's a fraud. Like if I was the merry man, I'd be like, fuck this guy. He was happy being like the... uh, the Duke of Fiddlesworth or whatever he was until he got booted and now he wants to be our boss. Hey, he's just recreating the power structures um, that he's being kicked from. So, like, basically fuck Robin Hood. A thousand percent. I, like, in both movies that's the case. And, like, even in, in Prince of Thieves, um, there's the line, he's like, what, are you going to join us? And he goes, no, I'm going to lead you. And it's like... What an arrogant fucking cunt. Like Yeah, that line, he's really arrogant, I agree entirely. Super arrogant. And and he and it and it drips of the privilege that he was born to. And 
I think if we're doing any sort of modern reboot, we ha- it has to be like not Jaden Smith the actor, but Jaden Smith the as the character. You know, the son the uh, the son of wealth, and then through some sort of shenanigans, he uh, he gets booted out of that that world that he lives in, and he has to go back to Philadelphia. It's like a reverse Fresh Prince. So maybe so Jaden Smith has to go back to West Philadelphia. <laughs> so the sequel to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, is is Robin Hood reverse Fresh Prince of Thieves. Look, Robin Hood, the Fresh Prince of Thieves. I think, I think as Sam is our guest this week, that is how you do a... Boom. That's how you do a, a, a version of a... That, that's something. <laughs> <laughs> that's something. And how does it end? Um... Maybe we could like. What's the moral of the story? Uh, how does it end? Well, maybe maybe he learns. Maybe he learns that that monetary wealth and the neoliberal society that we live in is actually more corrosive than than um, than I don't know than 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 real community. And he rather than you know go back to his wealth in Bel Air, um, he he learns that that. Um, the community in in West Philadelphia is uh, is where he's happier. I like it, Gobe. Sold. And that's he make a sequel to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, called Sam Robin Hood: The Fresh Prince of Thieves. I like it. I like it. Nice. <laughs> I like it a lot. Okay, folks, that brings us to the end of the show. A big thanks to our awesome sound editor, Sam, for not only joining us this particular episode, but in the future, Sam, I hope, making this episode sound so amazing. You can find Sam at? Uh, at Showtown Sound on Instagram, or I'm Sam Hayward 2 on IMDb if you want to Google that. And any plugs this week, Sam, you want to make, anything you're working on right now for our listeners to be aware of that might be coming up on the Small screen at home, streaming, TV, or the big screen at the cinema, if the cinemas are open, of course. Um, I do believe that the film, interestingly enough, 2067 that I mixed should be being released at some time in the very near future, um, which is a sort of post-apocalyptic film starring uh, Ryan Quantum and... Cody Smith-McPhee. Cody Smith-McPhee. So that's actually quite a fun romp. Futuristic. I actually think as of today, we're in early October 2020. That's actually available now. I think I saw a tweet today about that. Oh, great. Yeah, 2nd of October 2020, USA, yeah. I really enjoyed working on it. Great filmmakers, um, lovely to work with, and it's a fun, loud mix, which, you know, you don't always get to do that. Um, Very different to um, some of the more grounded films that I usually work on. Awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing that movie. That's great. The trailer looks fantastic. Uh, Gabe, where can listeners find more of your nude selfies and musings this week? Uh, at Twitter. Wait. No, I'm at Gabe Dowrick on Twitter. <laughs> Nailed it. Thank you. And I'm at Ben Phelps on Twitter and Insta and YouTube.com slash Ben Phelps. You find this pod and all my others in the usual places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening, folks. And if you enjoyed this show, please share with your mates. 
Sam, thank you so much for joining us. That was a really fun episode. You've been awesome. Thanks, man. I really, really enjoy being on these. It's fun. Awesome. Thanks, Gabe. And I'll speak to you guys very soon. Take care, folks. Toodaloo. Bye.